Now, this morning, uh, we're in a series called Turn the Page. Uh, we're in a transition right now as a church, and uh, just to make it clear again, uh, four weeks from today, uh, August 25th, will be my last sermon here. Uh, I'll say a little bit more about that at the end of the service, about what that series is going to be. Uh, and, and I've been expressing many times over these last uh, weeks uh, how grateful I am for the opportunity God's given me to be here. Very thankful for that. Jill and I both feel that strongly. And so this is emotional time for us, and, and, I, and our role will change, but our friendship won't change. And uh, so... So we're, in this series, Turn the Page, uh, I want to start this way today. All of us take pictures. All of us have picture albums. We have pictures on our walls at home. And we have pictures on our phones, too. <laughs> in fact, uh, I've lived through the history of picture taking, quite a bit of it anyway. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, when you got a picture, everybody, a family posed it up against the wall, and there was a big camera with a giant flash bulb in it. And so the flash bulb flashed. Everybody was blind for about five seconds. <laughs> then, uh, and then there was this electrical smelling kind of smoke or something that filled the air. And uh, I sort of liked that smell myself. But anyway, <laughs> then, uh, then came along this innovative camera called the Instamatic camera. How many remember the Instamatics? They were a little box about that big. And the feature, you could take four flash pictures off of those things. And uh, so, because they had a little flash thing on there, it would turn, you know, as you took four pictures. Then, uh, when the Polar Polaroid camera came out, I think early 60s, somewhere in there, that was, nobody thought we could ever top that. Because you took a picture, and then it slid out the bottom of the camera, you had to wait for it to dry for about two minutes, then you had your picture. Now, uh, with our smartphones, though, we've become like incessant addictive, narcissistic <laughs> picture takers, selfies, all that stuff. We even have those rods, you know, you can stick on your phone and hold out, hold out there and you can just take selfies of yourself all day long. So anyway, we couldn't take selfies in the old days. The closest picture to a selfie that Jill and I have is this one, <laughs> taken in a picture booth at Conneaut Lake Park in northwestern Pennsylvania, I think around 1965. And you got into those booths, and uh, you stuck the, uh, you know, you set, you, yeah, you put your money in, and then it would shoot out about four pictures. It would just snap them one after another. Not quite a selfie, but about the closest we could get to it then. Uh, why are we so hooked on taking pictures? Well, I think one reason, we take pictures of the present so we can remember the past. And it's good to remember the past. And sometimes it's even really emotional to get out those picture albums and start leafing through and looking at, looking at the great times of the past that were captured on that celluloid, I guess. But you know what? There's one thing our technology has not yet developed, and that is the ability to take pictures or snapshots of the future. Now, I know that there are apps on our phones that we can play around with that show us what we will possibly look like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, my grand, one of my granddaughters got a hold of uh, that app on her phone. She was playing around with that with me. 
And uh, so I don't accept at all. I don't accept that at all. Uh, I think that there's something wrong with that app. Uh, and then I think she, she took another one. She put a beard on me. Is the beard picture there? Okay. No. <laughs> Santa Claus? All right. Okay. So anyway, I just want you to know I don't accept any of that. The point I'm trying to make is that's not an actual snapshot. That's not real time. Because we don't have the technology to take a picture of the future. Now, as I said, this series is Turn the Page. Because we as a church are in a leadership transition, turning a page into the future of Calvary Church. And we have no human way, we have no human technology to see what lies out in front of us in that future. We don't have any human way to do that. Now, over the past few weeks, we've looked at examples of how God guided his people in the past during leadership transitions into the future. We looked the first week from Moses to Joshua. Then we looked from Elijah to Elisha. Last week, we looked at John the Baptist and how he handed off the ministry to Jesus Christ. And then this morning, we're going to take a look at how Jesus Christ came into the world. Handed, he was handed off by John the Baptist. Jesus lived. He did his ministry for three years. He died. He rose again. And then just before he ascended to heaven, he called his followers together, and he gave them, he called them to responsibility to take the same mission that Jesus Christ had come and established and began, and he handed that off to us to be his witnesses on this earth to our neighbors, our communities, our world, until the day he comes again. And Jesus Christ is coming again. But he didn't leave us on our own. He poured out the very same Holy Spirit who filled him. He poured out upon us, his followers, to get this job done, this mission fulfilled. And on the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, on that great feast day of the Jews, when they came together, that first church of 120 believers, Peter stood up and he preached the very first sermon in church history and his very opening words speak about how the Holy Spirit gives the ability to the church to see the future. That the church is a future-oriented community of believers. So here are those words from Peter's sermon, Acts chapter 2. In the last days... Now, the last days are those days that exist between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. That is us now, during which the church has a mission. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, all my people. And here's the reason. So that your sons and your daughters, and you know how much I like that God brings youth into this picture right off the bat. So that our sons and our daughters will prophesy. What is prophesy? That means speak for God. And your young men will see visions. And later on, a, couple of, a, a line or two down, 
it says that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all my servants, men and women alike. So what I understand this to mean is your young men and your young women, and then your older men and older women. There's going to be visions and they're going to dream dreams. And in those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy, they will speak for me. This is a very powerful future-oriented statement. And it is the first words of the first sermon in the Christian era. Now, Peter is saying that the Holy Spirit has come to enable followers of Jesus, both young and old, to see God's vision and God's dreams for the future and to reveal to us the new things that he has lying ahead in the future as the church carries out the mission of making Jesus Christ known. Now, you know, this tells us an awful lot about God and, and what God is like. God is a God who is excited about the future. He is a God with great plans to lead his people into that future. He is a God of the new, who is endlessly creative. God is endlessly innovative, inventive. God never created humanity. He never created this planet. He never created nature to be static, to be status quo. And if the church is God's new creation planted in this fallen world to renew this entire fallen world, if, that, if the church is God's new creation, then that means that the church is intended to be the very thriving center of God's creativity on the earth, bringing the message of Jesus with up-to-date relevance to every new century, to every new generation, to every new decade, and to every new day, to every nation and culture and community on this planet. What the Holy Spirit did in yesterday's church and what the Holy Spirit in, is doing in today's church will not be packaged the same way in the church of tomorrow. The message of Jesus never changes. The Holy Spirit never changes. The power and the gifts of the Spirit don't change. But the Holy Spirit will always give new visions and new dreams with the most relevant wisdom about how to communicate the message in an ever-changing culture, an ever-changing world. And so as we face this leadership transition, we are stepping from the past, the present, into a brand new future. And that new future is going to look different. But you know what? That's, that's the way the future works. That, God does a new thing in the future. And that's a good thing. So I'm going to ask you this question this morning. What is your posture? I'm speaking to you personally, and I'm speaking to us as a church. What is our posture today? Uh, what direction is your face set? So uh, I want to illustrate this, if I can. So let's pretend that uh, that's the past, and here's the present where I'm standing, and there's the future over there. I think the posture of the church and the posture of our lives personally should always be facing the future, future-oriented. But we should also value and learn from history. We should also value and learn from the past uh, for lots of reasons. We're going to discuss some of them in just a minute. 
But you know what? We can, uh, you've heard the saying that uh, by knowing history, we can be prevented from making the same mistakes again. Okay, that's one reason to look. So as we, as we are faced this direction, we also need to glance back, take a good, hard, long look once in a while at, at our roots and at, at what's happened in our lives in the past and, and understand our past. Sometimes there are wounds. Sometimes there are issues in our past. We need to understand those things in order to move forward into that future. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is this, that our, our basic orientation, our, our basic posture should be moving into the future. Otherwise, if we're turned around facing this way and only occasionally take a glance at the future, I don't think that's a healthy way to live. And we're probably going to end up getting stuck. So, all right, that's true for us personally. That's true for us as a church. And the other thing, you know, the present is very, the present is a very short, it's a very small, short place. Uh, in fact, if you want to get real philosophical, I heard a man, I heard this joke one time, it's not really a joke, it's a riddle. Where was the man when he jumped off the bridge? And then some people will say, well, he was on the bridge. And I, I say, no, that was before he jumped. And then they say, well, okay, well, it was after he jumped? No. Okay, so anyway, you see the philosophical dilemma right there? The present's very, it's very hard to nail down the present, okay? Uh, I don't want to wander off into that too far, but anyway. So, but facing the future. But most of us have a future resistance, either intentionally or unintentionally, embedded inside of us, in our thinking, in our emotions. And I think this is true for us as individuals, and I think it's also true for us as churches. And I would suggest that future resistance can be rooted in at least five things. Number one, sometimes our future resistance is rooted in the wounds of the past. And for lots of people, the picture album of their past is not filled with good memories. And I know that there's probably some people right in this room that would say, you know what? Yeah, my picture album, when I look back at my past, it's not, it's not filled with a lot of good memories. There's some wounds there. And a wounded past can create the fear that the future is just going to bring more wounds to me. Now, let me ask you this question, and then I'll make a point. What, does anyone here know what the biggest robbery in United States history was? When, where, what it was? Anyone know that? Any trivia people? <laughs> Nobody here on Jeopardy? <laughs> Who knows that? Okay. All right. Let me tell you what it was. The biggest robbery in the United States history was in 1997. It was an armored car with a Dunbar company. It was robbed of $18.9 million. But all five of the guys, it was an inside job. They all got caught. <laughs> okay. That's the biggest robbery in, history, in, in, this, in the history of this country in a way, at least of money. But you know what the biggest robbery of all is? The biggest robbery of all is when a person is robbed of what God has for them in the future. And you know what? It not only robs that person, but when you allow God to rob you of what he has for you in your future because of a fear of woundedness, it also robs all the others 
who God desires your life to touch with the gifts that God has given only and uniquely to you. The world will be robbed of you and the unique giftedness. We talked about that when we dedicated Jackson today. There's never and nor will there ever be another human being on this planet that has the same unique gifts, personality, abilities, talents, mixed together, put together in the same way that Jackson does. There is no other. He is one of the kind unique, and so is every one of you. And if I allow God to rob me of my future, it's a robbery of all the people I'm going to meet that would be influenced by my life. That's, a, that's the greatest of all robberies that happen on this planet. So I want to encourage anyone here with woundedness in your life, take those steps to find the healing and the recovery and the riches that God has lying for you out in front, no matter what is in the past, so that for the sake of this, for showing the wound-healing power of Jesus Christ to others who are going to find hope in your life, in your testimony. That's, and, and here's the definition of what a church is. One definition of a church is, it's simply a community of wounded healers. We've all been wounded, but he is healing us. And that's the message we take to our world. Remember the mission of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because he has anointed me. Why? To proclaim good news to the poor. And then he, I like this line. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That is to heal the wounded. You know, it takes boldness. It takes great courage to face our wounds. But it's worth it when you're doing it under the leadership of Jesus Christ. So, Come to Christ with those wounds. Immerse your life in his truth, his word. Surround yourself with the encouragement of fellow believers on the journey. Get counsel, whatever is necessary. Take those steps to address the wounds. And don't let that future resistance hold you back. A second kind of future resistance is rooted in similar, it can be rooted in failure or failures that we've experienced in our past. And you know what? When we experience a fail failure in our past, sometimes what we do is we label ourselves as a failure. And when we do that, we pull back and we, we play it safe. But again, this not only robs you, but it robs the kingdom of God of the giftedness and the impact your life can bring. And here's what I would like you to remember regarding failure, that when God sees you, he doesn't see you as a failure. Uh, he, he explicitly states how he sees you in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where he says this, for we are his workmanship. Now that word workmanship, the Greek word there, I've told you this before, is poema. We get our word poetry from that. It's also a word that meant work of art or masterpiece. So when God looks at you, he sees you as a masterpiece in the making. And then it goes on. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works 
to bring great good to this world, the, work, the good, goodness of God. And then when did God prepare us for that? Which God prepared beforehand, before we were even created, that we should walk in them. We should walk in those good works. You know, what is walking? Walking is moving into the future. <laughs> okay. So God's plan for your life, no matter what your past has done, is for you to walk into your future, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works that only can be done through your life in the way you would do them, so that the world can be touched and blessed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his plan. Thirdly, sometimes future resistance is rooted in, rooted in the nostalgia of good times in the past. Wonderful memories of how things used to be. And sometimes we just draw the conclusion that the past could never possibly be as great as those good old days. Now, I want to challenge that. Because God is the God who creates the future. We've already stated that. And this is, what, this is the word that God gave to Isaiah the prophet to tell the people of Israel. And I think he wants to tell us today too. God speaking. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it is springing up. Do you not perceive it? Don't you see it? And that's Isaiah 43 verse 19. God wants us to see what lies out in front. Now, number four, uh, future resistance can be rooted in the comfort of the present. I like things the way they are right now. <laughs> and we call that the comfort zone. <laughs> uh, I have a comfort zone at home. Uh, it's, called, it's a green recliner, okay? <laughs> and it's been, in our, it's been in our family, well, okay, we've been in Lamont almost 19 years. It came with us. <laughs> from our previous house, and it was, it was there for quite a while, too. I know Jill has talked about, you know, we need, really need to get rid of that green recliner, but uh, I'm in it too much. She can't move it, so no. No, <laughs> now, I don't want you to think I spent all my time in my green recliner. Now, the point I did want to make is that this green recliner is so special because it's got levers on the side, or a lever on the side, so, uh, and it, it'll adjust to, a, you know, two or three different postures, uh, or, you know, uh, kinds of reclining. And so I can pull the lever back a little bit, and it's just right for reading. And then if I get tired of reading, I can pull that lever back, and I'm tipped all the way back and almost horizontal, and, you know, it's my comfort zone, okay? But I cannot spend my life on that, in that green recliner. I mean, can't do it. Uh, because, you know, there's things to be done, okay? But I'm glad it's there. So we all need some comfort in life, but we can't declare comfort to be the zone in which we live and the purpose of our life. Comfort is not the purpose of our life. Uh, there's a task, there's a work, there's a, and sometimes that work's going to be tough, and it's not going to be comfortable. In fact, it's going to stretch us, and, but, and the future will stretch us. Uh, but God has called us there, and he's promised to go with us. And then finally, sometimes future resistance is, and this is a sneaky one, this is a subtle one. It can, future resistance can even be rooted in the successes of the past. And the idea here is that what worked to give success in the past will also work 
to give success in the future. But you know what? That can become a great limitation because, as we've already said today, the future is not going to be like the past. Times change, cultures change, circumstances change, and what worked so well in the past often becomes obsolete, out of date, and actually becomes a barrier to becoming effective in the future. There's one illustration of this from American history. Maybe you remember this. Uh, back in 1804, uh, Thomas Jefferson, who was president at that time, he gave orders to Captain Meriwether Lewis. And I was, when I was thinking about Meriwether, Lewis, uh, Lewis of Lewis and Clark, when I was thinking of his first name, I was glad, I thought to myself, I'm glad my parents didn't name me Meriwether, okay? <laughs> anyway, uh, but his name was Meriwether Lewis. And this is what Thomas Jefferson, the orders he gave him. The object of your mission is to explore the Missouri River and such principal stream of it as by its course and communication with the waters of the Pacific Ocean. And then he adds, may offer, so that it may offer the most direct and practicable water communication across this continent for the purpose of commerce. In other words, in, in simple words, <laughs> they sent him out there to find a major riverway that would run across the western part of the United States, just as there are riverways that can take you almost anywhere here in the eastern part of the country. And so what they did was they, they had that map of the future in their minds that, well, we're going to explore known territory. Then we, we have our, They had their canoes with them, and their canoes were great for getting them into the west. But once they got out there and they ran out of river, uh, what they found, they found there was no east-west river heading to the Pacific Ocean. So what they had to do was they had to ditch their canoes, and they found they had to become mountain climbers. They had to cross some mountain ranges to get out west to the Pacific Ocean. So the future was not like the past. There was a totally different map that had to be written. And that's the way, that's the, way the future most always is. The methodologies, the canoes that brought us to where we are, that may not be the methodology that takes us where God wants us to go. And uh, so, uh, so the Holy Spirit has a new map for the future, individually and as a church. And that's the primary reason we need to trust in the Lord uh, to guide us and direct us as we step into the future. God has new things to do in and through us as a church family. So the final question this morning is, how do we get from the place we are in the present into the future that God has for us so we can, so we can carry on this mission that Christ Jesus has given to us? Just two things. Be visionary. Be visionary here in the present. Embrace personally, embrace as a church that God sees our future, be assured that it is a good future and that as a Jesus follower, it is going to be for us a missionary future in which the Spirit of God will show through your lives his saving, redemptive, restoring power and will draw other people around you to know Christ. That's the center of it all. And the second thing is be courageous. Don't be held hostage by the past, either by its wounds or its failures or its successes. 
realize that the future is not going to be easy street. Life in this world is never easy street. There will be challenges, there will be crisis, there will be struggles. But realize that God will work, as he promised, all things together for good and into his will for those who belong to Jesus Christ, who, who love Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for the promise and the foundation that your word becomes in our lives. Lord, as we step forward into what you have for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you will be with every individual here, regardless of what their story of the past is, Lord. Help us to move forward. I pray for Calvary Church, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'll just continue to bless and, and strengthen and direct and lead this church in this transition moment. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your faithfulness in that very thing. And we pray all of these things in the great, the mighty name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.